Buzzkills fam. We were supposed to be dark this week, but when the story broke last week of a woman in upstate New York who was denied care for her critical disease of cluster headaches because she was of childbearing years, she's not pregnant. She's not planning to be pregnant. The hospital just denied her care. It wasn't a Catholic hospital, it was a secular hospital. We wanted to hear her story because the journey of what she has gone through to try to get care and try to get justice is not just her story. It is the story of Americans with uteruses trying to get care in this country. So we wanted to talk to Tara Rule about the fact that we have an epidemic in this country. And that epidemic is if you have the potential for pregnancy, you could be denied life-saving care. So please welcome Tara Rule. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. There is so much to talk about. Thank you for having me. I'm such a huge fan, so this is really cool. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. Well, you know, the second we read the story in Jezebel, there was so many questions, right? It's like you hear the stories of pharmacists turning away, you know, plan B, and you hear the stories of other things, you know, Catholic hospitals. But you are in New York, it's a secular hospital, and you're not pregnant. Lay out for me, A, a little bit about the condition that you have so that people can have a little bit of a picture of how you suffer through what you're experiencing and then how the drug plays a role in that. So I have a genetic connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It's a rare disorder, so it took me many, many years to get a diagnosis. And one of the symptoms I experience is cluster headaches, which was the reason I was going to see the neurologist in the first place. Cluster headaches are known to be one of the worst pains a person can go through. They often push people to take their life because the pain is that extraordinary and unrelenting and you know, they come in clusters of time. So I had gone quite a few years without having a cluster headache and I no longer had the same neurologist I did before. So I was going to this new neurologist to see if there were any new treatments available um, and they're preventative treatments, right? It's narcotic painkillers, opiate medications don't, don't work for this kind of thing. And he did inform me that, yes, there were a number of highly effective, very safe medications. He specifically said safe and effective treatments, but he wouldn't prescribe the medication to me because I was of, quote, childbearing age. And that is just the beginning, right? And so just for folks who have never experienced any kind of pain like that, migraines, and then this extreme pain prevention is key to existence, right? To be able to mitigate it is gigantic. So I just wanted to point that out. So when he said to you, I can't prescribe to you any of these medications that would actually be helpful because you're childbearing years, what was your response? (laughs) Well, I asked him why. And he said kind of like, well, it's not so much me as it is the insurance company. And that insurance companies will not prescribe people with uteruses who are of childbearing age, any medication that could potentially cause birth defects to which I responded, well, that's not the case with my insurance because at the time I was taking Celsept, which is a highly teratogenic medication, meaning it will definitely 
cause birth defects if I were to get pregnant while taking it. And my insurance, no questions asked, no issue with it. And when I told him that, he said, well, then your medication doesn't cause birth defects. And at that point, I was like, this is strange. So that's when I decided to start recording. And I encouraged him to look up my current medication. And he was like, oh, yeah, I can see all these birth defects it causes. So what would you do if you got pregnant? And then it became clear it was not actually about the insurance. It was something else. Wow. And when he said, what would you do if you were pregnant? You said. Uh, I said very bluntly, I, I would have to get an abortion. Not just like, I don't want children. I said, I would have to get an abortion. He said, why? Because of the Ehlers-Danlos, like my connective tissue disorder. And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> um, and also the medication I take, the Cellcept. And he was like, no, well, no, no, no. You can you can move along with the pregnancy, have things tested, see where things go. And I thought that was so odd because the disorder I have and some of the comorbidities I have with it, some people with Ehlers-Danlos can have children without much issue. My case is complicated. I have a lot of other medical issues that go along with this. So becoming pregnant in and of itself is extraordinarily unsafe for me. And also you've stated your health directive right to him. This is what I want. These are my plans. And didn't he also then introduce sort of issues of what kind of partner you had and kind of probing a little further into what your life was like? Yeah. Um, I had brought up to him, I said, well, you know, because at this point it was clear to me, this person is uncomfortable with prescribing this medication. So I figured if I just played the game and been like, look, okay, here's the reasons you don't have to worry, right? I'm not having children. I will never have children. Um, my partner has a vasectomy. It's a long-term monogamous relationship. And that's when he was like, well, if you're with a steady person, you're going to need to bring him in on the conversation about this whole thing. I took it as he was talking about my treatment because we had already kind of moved on from the specific abortion topic at that point. So I took it as I have to bring in my male partner to discuss treatment options, which was odd. Really odd. And also just justifying and putting caveats on your treatment and also this this intervention of another person to make sure, again, women, people with uteruses, especially women of color, are constantly challenged on their decision-making around their own healthcare, right? And so this is the part that is maddening. And I just want to reiterate, this is not a Catholic hospital. This is not a religiously affiliated hospital. And this is in New York state. So you walked away from this not getting the treatment that you were asking for. Is that correct? Yeah. So throughout the conversation, there were a number of times I asked him, you know, flat out, would you prescribe this to me if I was through menopause? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did ask what the names of the medications were that he had in mind. He actually turned his computer screen away from me at that point. So I couldn't read what was on his computer. And he flat out refused to tell me the names of the medications. So I left that day without a treatment I could take. He would inevitably call in a very dangerous medication to my pharmacy without my consent or knowledge days later that Good thing I read the you know warnings on it because it could have taken me out entirely. But I was devastated because I was like, this is so unfair. I'm, my my pain's being deprioritized over this like you know hypothetical fetus. Yeah. Now with that imaginary fetuses are taking over our rights, like it's this next level bullshit, right? It's like, oh, good, we can have implausible scenarios with which we deny care, but also because you have the potential for pregnancy, that happens, and so that is the beginning of your story. 
the journey is next level, right? So talk about next steps when you ended up in the emergency room. Uh, The day after my appointment, I called the hospital's patient relations department and explained the situation. And they said they would do an investigation. It would take 45 days. Okay. I did not have a treatment and I was still in one of these cluster cycles. So about a week later, I went to my local urgent care, which is only a few minutes from my house, but it is 45 minutes away from the hospital where the neurologist works. I knew I had to go because I was starting to feel really like I was kind of like passing out from the pain almost. And I've had, I've dealt with this before. So I knew this was becoming an emergency situation. I needed to get stabilized. So I went to the urgent care. They hooked me up with a non-narcotic migraine cocktail IV. It dulls it a little bit, doesn't take care of it, but they also hooked me up to oxygen. And oxygen therapy is very helpful with the pain. And, you know, halfway through my treatment, my attending nurse practitioner came in, asked how I was doing. She ordered another IV because my pain was still very high. My blood pressure had not stabilized. When my nurse came in a few minutes later, I was thinking she had the IV and she started unhooking me from the IV. And she's like, we got to discharge you. Bloods Falls Hospital, which is where the neurologist worked, called and said you were live streaming. So we got to throw you out. And I was like, can you send in my attending? This is weird. Because I was I was not live streaming. And I had proof of that. And I knew I had proof of that on my phone. So I was like, I'm just going to clear this up. I did record on my phone. I'm glad I did because I don't think anyone would have believed me otherwise. And I probably would have convinced myself that it didn't happen this way. But um, yeah, my nurse practitioner came in. There were armed security guards outside the room, a bunch of different people in the room that I didn't know. And she told me that Glens Falls Hospital, where the neurologist worked, called Saratoga Hospital, another local hospital, to try to track me down and then called Multimed, which is where I was in urgent care, and said I was live streaming and that I need to be escorted off the premises. So was it that you had recorded in your room and then posted it, not live streamed? Is that is that where the disconnect happened? So initially I thought maybe because while I was in Multimed, I did make a TikTok post. Now in the post, I did not disclose any information. There was no indication where I was. You could tell I was in a hospital because I had a cannula. You could not tell what hospital. I was in a private room, door closed, no other patients around, no providers around. And I've made posts at that urgent care a number of times. I've even had like a nurse, like, you know, help me with a social media post once. So they they have no social media policies. At least they didn't at the time. And initially I thought maybe that's it. But as time went on, the nurse practitioner who threw me out of the ER stated that um, because my partner left a negative Google review of both hospitals that she, you know, ended up tracking my boyfriend down on social media on Facebook and sent him messages disclosing my private health information. So could it be that it started because I posted something while in the hospital? Maybe. But at this point, I don't really know because I don't know how they would have figured out where I was. But also, clearly this nurse stalked your Facebook, saw who your partner was, saw that your partner did a review. There is a lot of really strong diving into some really weird personal shit. In the Jezebel article, you talk about when they contacted your partner on Facebook and DM'd, they broke all kinds of HIPAA violations telling him things about your medical history, correct? That's correct. Pretty much all of the uh, points to hit for protected health information or PHI, date of service, location of service, names of providers, treatments received, every one of those, you know, the nurse practitioner had hit. And what scared me or made me a little bit more uncomfortable was, like you said, 
she could have looked him up on social media. But at the time, because I am, you know, I have a platform and I'm a social media person, I like to keep people in my personal life private. So she would have really had to do some digging to find my partner because it is not public information. Wow. So now this doctor denied you care, denied you the names of the medicine that could be helpful. Your cluster headaches are so profound. You're in the urgent care. And this nurse then is like kicking you out of emergency after you have to go there and then scouring you down. What happens next? I did report all the incidents. I made formal complaints to all of the facilities involved. I received things in the mail saying they've all done investigations. All of the actions of all the providers involved were appropriate and no HIPAA, no impermissible privacy violations occurred. And at that point, I was like, you know, I need to get an attorney involved to subpoena these records. And everything in the internal audit trail confirms everything that was said to me verbally. And it's a really bizarre situation. Honestly, I almost wish I knew the motive for them throwing me out or calling hospital to hospital to hospital, which is also a privacy violation to find me. I don't know what the motive was. I don't know if it was just to protect themselves from possible negligence because I was in the emergency room for something that their provider failed to treat. Well, it violates so many HIPAA, MTALA. For those of you that don't know, MTALA is when you're in an emergency room, you are required to treat someone in an emergency room. And we've seen many cases of people going in for miscarriage management and things like that and having care denied and also law enforcement called, which is really just wild. So you filed a lawsuit. And you are now beginning that journey. Yes. And so have you been able to see a neurologist who has been willing to give you the medications that you need to stabilize you and to prevent these cluster headaches from happening? So the challenge has been Albany Medical Center, Albany Med Health Partners owns the majority of the facilities in my area in upstate New York. I have been referred to other neurologists in their system. And I and my mother were both denied as patients, not appropriate patients, even though the referrals were completely, you know, follow protocol. Most providers in my area have that are specialists have a six months to a year wait list. So it's not easy to get into a specialist. Additionally, some of the neurologists that I could see out of state, because now I have to travel every other week and stuff like that out of state to see these providers. Some of them are out of network. And I, I'm on disability, so I don't, I have a fixed income. So at this point, no, I still don't have a neurologist because I I can't fund it. So this is just another example. And I'm so sorry that this is happening to you. I I can't even tell you. And we're going to put a link to the GoFundMe in our show notes so that people can help you travel because it is unbelievable. But like the gobbling up of hospitals, you know, you are living upstate, not in a majorly huge community, correct? And so rural hospitals are always the ones that get gobbled up in these larger consortiums. Oftentimes these larger conglomerate hospitals, if you're in a system, you're lost in that system or there's no place else for you to go, um, which is really heartbreaking. How far are you having to travel to be able to get what you need? Connecticut, Massachusetts. um, There are some providers I already had in New York City, but minimum three hours minimum three hours. I do have a new primary care provider because I was also let go by my primary care provider's office who was an affiliated provider during this time. Um, My new provider is fantastic. However, my provider can only do so much because there's only so many options here. 
talk about your condition because I'm sure people will be asking things like, can you get a year supply? Can you, you know, like, how is it that the medication you need for this condition is requiring you to keep going back? I honestly don't know if it would require me to keep going back for the cluster headaches. Um, For other things, you know, like I have to, the other providers I'm seeing specialists are, you know, different kinds of doctors, like an ear, nose and throat doctor. So they keep maintenance checks on me, run tests, see where I'm at. Um, So it's, you know, not so much like a medication issue as it is just keeping an eye on the progress of my condition. And as far as a medication goes, I still don't even know what options would be available to me. You know, it it would be great if I could find a neurologist and they're like, hey, because it wouldn't be a controlled substance. They'd be like, here's, yeah, here's a three month long supply. Right. But at this point, I don't, I don't know. You coming forward and we're going to link to your TikTok and your story, even though our listeners probably know, but it's worth repeating and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about it is as you came forward, so many outpouring of people who have also experienced this denial of care, of different kinds of care based on being a uterus haver or being of childbearing age. And I wish you could share some of the stories of people who came to you to say, this happened to me also in the kind of situations that they were in. I've gotten so many, like hundreds of thousands of comments, you know, across all platforms, uh, everything from acne medication to life-saving chemo. I have had people tell me that providers refuse to give them life-saving chemotherapy, despite them also already having children, not wanting more children, and having a full hysterectomy. More than one person have told me the doctor's answer was, miracles can happen, quote unquote. Oh, miracles. This is so pervasive across the entire country. And at that point, I was like, this is affecting so many people. I have a spotlight on me and my situation. Maybe I can use that to instill some change. And my initial goal was to write up new legislation to prevent this kind of thing from happening. And as I moved forward with this and talked more about it publicly, I started to learn by studying the law, there are already a handful of federal laws that are supposed to prevent this kind of thing from happening. The Affordable Care Act, Section 1557. Because my argument is, if it says you can't deny somebody care based on age and sex, childbearing age being the reason is age. Yeah. A uterus being able to become pregnant is is sex related. So that's my argument. And I hope that this, if nothing else, allows people to know that there are laws out there that are supposed to prevent this kind of thing from happening because I have always worked in human rights, civil rights. I didn't even know this. Right. And there's a lot of laws. So, you know, I don't know what needs to be done. I don't know if people just need to become more litigious. <laughs> I don't know if people, you know, I don't know what it is. But regardless, whatever happens with my case, I'm going to keep working with, you know, change.org and Fenton and these other organizations to ensure that we get something tacked down, being like, you cannot deny care based on a hypothetical fetus. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You know, where would we be? if we didn't have the platforms where we could exert our own agency, you know, like this is the thing that is been happening forever. And to be able to tell your story with which in turn becomes a place for others to tell theirs. It's so important. Um, Before we go, tell us where the lawsuit is at, where you're at with that 
and what the next steps are. And then um, tell us where people can support you. So I have filed in the Northern District, New York State District Court, which is federal court. So they handle federal laws. I have filed under a federal question under civil rights. As far as I know, some people have been served. They're still working on serving a couple of people, I believe. And I have a tentative date set for January 2nd, which, you know, they told me would probably get moved. So I have been in contact with a few larger, specifically like, um, you know, like reproductive rights law groups that have shown interest in representing me, which would be fantastic. So I'm hoping those will go that way. Um, but if not, I'm prepared. And my whole journey from beginning to end is on my TikTok, on my medical equality playlist. From the day I got denied treatment, you can see the progression of these events happen in real time. And then I've kind of condensed them with some retrospect and, you know, evidence, I guess, on a documentary series called Chronically Corrupt, which is on YouTube. And I do have a change.org petition, which has over 80,000 signatures that I would love more people to sign in support of trying to really create this change that doctors should not be allowed to deny treatments to people based on a hypothetical situation. Exactly. Or the way the conscience clause is also supposed to work is that if a doctor, for whatever reason, prescribing the medication goes against their conscience, that somebody is available to prescribe that for you. And that is federal law. And in rural communities and things like that, people are being screwed all the time. Hopefully you'll come back as as the story progresses. We'd love to talk to you more, support you in any way we can. Listeners, fam out there, you know how much we are always saying we have to uplift and support. So please go donate to that GoFundMe. Tara deserves justice and we want to be here to help you get that justice and to get you the best legal representation possible and also to help you with your care. So there's many, many things happening here where we will hopefully support you in all the ways and hopefully our listeners will be there too. Tara, thank you so much for telling your story and please come back as your journey continues. It would be an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And I hope that you are getting the care you need and that you are feeling better. So we are just with you 100%. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining this very mini episode. We're so glad. We hope that you will follow Tara at TikTok. Please sign the change.org petition that will end doctor's ability to deny treatment for childbearing age patients. And Please help Tara out if you can on her GoFundMe to help support her getting the care she needs because she's got to travel for it and to help her with her legal fees. Amazing interview. Thank you, Tara. Also, join us next week with Dr. Savita Ginde, CEO and CMO of the Boulder Valley Health Center. We'll be talking about what it's like to be targeted by David Delighton and comedian Maddie Weiner from the Phone is in the Bag podcast will join us. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.